the Joy Unleashed show empowers and inspires women to reclaim their joy. We provide tools, resources, and connections to help you unlock your true potential. The Joy Unleashed show empowers and inspires women to reclaim their joy. We provide tools, resources, and connections to help you unlock your true potential through engaging conversations, expert insights, and transformative stories. We create a vibrant and inclusive community where women can break free from the limitations that hold them back. Our goal is to empower women to rise above societal expectations, rediscover joy, and live fearlessly. We believe joy is a birthright. Join us to rewrite stories and create purposeful lives. Let's break down barriers and pave the way for limitless joy. I'm joyologist Colleen Greco, and it is my honor to be your host. Let's get right into the show. Welcome, welcome, welcome to Joy Unleashed. I am your host, Colleen Greco, and I'm thrilled to have my very first, you know, season one, episode one guest, Chris Coladonato. Um, Chris, if you would please welcome uh, or take a moment, please, to introduce yourself, um, tell us why you're here today, and if you happen to weave joy into it, all the better. So, well, I'll welcome everybody who's watching this recording, so we'll start there. Um, but I am excited to be here because one of the things and here's your joy plug one of the things that um is unique about me is i pretty much pivoted my career and my life and i am now focused on helping people connect with nature and the reason that's so unique and different and interesting is i'm a former corporate hr and talent development specialist for over 20 years and now i get to help people by taking them out into nature so they can connect with themselves and get present. And that's what truly brings me joy. I had to really think about what brought me joy as I thought about this next chapter of my life. And I realized it was the forest. So then I had to think about how do I turn that into a living? And lo and behold, now I'm a certified forest bathing guide and I take people on walks and I talk about the magic and science of nature connection. Oh, I absolutely love that for so many reasons. I had an accidental <laughs> 25 year left turn as i like to say <laughs> um i'm sorry i woke up one day saying like i don't even want to do this how did that happen i was supposed to be a brand strategist for like procter and gamble or some really fun company in the 90s and that is not what happened so i love that you you kind of pulled on that thread a little bit and were wow. able to say this is where my heart is this is where my calling is and this is where i want to spend my time yeah, and it takes a lot of science and uh, science. Well, maybe science, but silence, you know, silence and, and soul searching. And, you know, I was waiting for that big revelation, like, here's what you are meant to do for the rest of your life. And, and I said, you know, well, what do I want to do right now? What sounds cool and fun and not to, I, we should go back and see how many times we use joy in this, in this whole broadcast, but not to, to overuse the word, but what would really bring me joy? And okay, this does. And like you said, pulling on the thread. So here mm -hmm. I am. So, and by the way, I want a joy counter. I'm going to contact the people at StreamYard and say, like, <laughs> I don't know how you actually do this, but I want a joy, joy on Oh, wouldn't that be cool? 
approaching 25 times. Um, so I have a question and I have done some research, but more so for um, the folks, the folks listening and watching, where does forest bathing even come from? How had you heard of it? it before interacting with you through our mutual connections, I hadn't actually heard of it before and I just found it completely fascinating and intriguing. So where did you stumble upon it? Um, oh, great Google is where I stumbled upon it. So I, last year, that's when I really started having this revelation. Um, somebody had planted a seed in my brain a couple of years ago that said, well, when you're looking to pivot, you love going out in nature. You could take teams out in nature. And I was like, ah. Went to a retreat last year and really dug in. And that's when I found out, yeah, I do want to do something with nature. I don't know what it is. Yeah, I'd like to take people out. What does that look like? And as a facilitator by trade, I thought, well, how can I facilitate sessions in nature? So I started Googling and I came across this concept of forest bathing. And truly, I mean, if I had heard about it, I forgot about it. So what I ended up doing was going through the history of it and what it is. So it started in Japan. Um, Shirin Yoku is actually the term for it, which translates into forest bathing, meaning you go into the forest to bathe your senses. And it started back in the 80s um, to really help the urbanization that was happening and the overwork and the burnout that was happening at that time. So they would actually take people out and prescribe forest bathing. And throughout the years, there's been research study after research study on the benefits of it. You know, it will actually lower your cortisol levels by going out into the forest. Um, it will release certain biochemical reactions. So I started digging into this a little bit more and I was like, oh, they're facilitating a connection with nature. So that's when I started looking for organizations in which I could study to see, you know, how can I take what I know as facilitation and, and development of others and translate that into something a little bit different. And that's when I started studying to become a forest bathing guide. Oh, I love that. You know, there's so much that I could unpack here and I feel like, you know, all of my senses are just going like bing, bing, bing. Because <laughs> there are so many things that we just want to apply a pill to right? or, or a Band-Aid over. Um, and, you know, I think for me personally, my joy was stifled by medication. Um, mm. I lost the ability to feel. I never cried ever. Mm. And almost that as a badge of honor. Um, and until I kind of dug into that and, and made some shifts in my life, I realized that somebody said to me once, crying is your, your soul singing. And I thought, Ooh. oh, I want to cry more. That's good. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I love that, you know, the fact that, you know, you, you know, people are, are moving towards mm -hmm. these, in some cases, very ancient um, practices to just reset their own inner clocks and reset their emotions and really get more grounded yeah. in the earth. Yeah. And, you know, the practice has truly been around for many, many years. I mean, you'll, you'll go back and, and people were always talking about going into the forest for probably since, well, I don't know, since time began and man began, but for a very long time. And it was really just formalized as they started exploring 
the benefits. And they have some really cool, unique trees in Japan that have a, um, it's a cypress tree, if I'm remembering correctly, um, that have a, a certain scent. It's a hanoki oil that is just so powerful in the chemical reaction that how it reacts with humans and how humans react to it. So, you know, you start to see these studies and you start to see this more and more research on it. And the books that have been written on it in probably the past five years that actually go back and cite some of these studies and new studies that are being happen or that are happening are just, there's so much. And my analytical mind is like, oh, I want to look at this data and this data <laughs> and this. But when it comes down to it, to your point, it's it's just about grounding yourself in nature, whether you go out to a forest or a beach or a lake or wherever that is, and giving yourself just a moment to be, especially in this tech. I always love it. I, I love to speak and I love to speak virtually. So I'm like, hi, I'm using tech and I love tech, but there's a time and a place for the tech. And then there's a time and a place to just go back to nature, which has been with us since the very beginning. Now, it's interesting because I I feel like I'm I'm kind of throwing you a softball here. Um, I'm curious to to see what um, your impression is around the. I'm wondering if you if you ever received this as a reason to not forest bathe. Um, I don't have the time. Oh, <laughs> is that number one or or just like number two? I bet it's right up there because I I'd, I'd say it's well. it. I, I'd say they go back and forth between number one and number two. So time and I don't have a forest, um, so I can't, you know, and, and I don't like to go to a forest. So those two things are probably neck and neck and mm -hmm. just depends on the time and the person. So, yes, I don't have time. But if you go back and think about all the other things that you do and make time for and you know hello phone i'm looking for my phone but i purposely put it away for this this broadcast but it's never leaves my side and it's so mm -hmm. easy to pick up and scroll through so can we pull back some of that can we start to realize that if we keep up at the pace that we are keeping up whether it's you know we have uh parental duties or family obligations or just work obligations, if we just keep up that pace, then we're not going to be any use to anyone. We're going to burn out and then we'll have all the time in the world to do nothing because we won't feel like doing anything. So, you know, you have to weigh all of that. And as soon as I start to have those kinds of conversations and how can you squeeze in five minutes? five minutes for yourself to do nothing but connect with nature and connect with yourself. It can just have so many benefits, just quiet the mind. And that gives you this opportunity to just, oh, okay, my brain has a break. Ah, I can come back and refresh and recharge. So once you start having those conversations to the time argument, people start to nod their head and go, yeah, I could use that. So then it's a, a matter of let's help you find time in your schedule. Let's help you make space for time in your schedule. Make is that operative word that mm -hmm. I use a lot um, with my clients because it's, I don't have the time to food prep. I don't have the time to dig into these emotional situations that are mm -hmm. keeping me feeling stuck. Well, I, I think you're willing to make the time if you look at it as 
you are, you are holding yourself back. You could yeah. have that life that you always wanted. You just have to make a little bit of an effort, like 1% more than you did. Right. And I love the challenge of five minutes. Five minutes. I'm hyper competitive and I'm like, don't tell me I don't have five minutes to do something. <laughs> and then before you know it, you realize, wow, this feels really grounding. This feels yes. really calm. Yeah. That's a little bit longer. And that's how they, you know, I, I know I read Atomic Habits and it's do this, just do, what's the smallest bit you can do? That's how I started meditating. I started three minutes at a time. I'm like, I can do three minutes. Actually, I think I started at one minute. Then I went up to three minutes. One minute's a long time. <laughs> it, it is. But, you know, now if I don't do at a minimum 10 minutes, I'm usually 15 to 20 minutes, I feel robbed. And sometimes I do only have five minutes. But, yeah, just start small. But to your point, yeah, and I, I found myself saying find. And it's not about finding the time because you'll make every excuse in the world. It's about making the time and making it a priority, really. I love that you just gave a shout out to James Clear. One of the many life-changing books that yeah. I read because it is so simple. It's those small incremental changes that you make over time mm -hmm. that stack up to these massive results. Yeah. So big shout out to James Clear. We'll tag him in this. Maybe he'll see it. <laughs> um, and want to be a guest one day. Just, just saying. saying. <laughs> I have a question around, um, you know, like in your bio and on your website, you talk a lot about um, the integration of science in nature yeah. and that connection around energy. Can you can you share a little bit more about that? Yeah. So, so one of the things I just love to tell people to do. So when they have that five minutes, and they're like, "Well, what do I do? I, I don't. I, I can't go anywhere in five minutes." I'm like, "Okay, look outside." probably some clouds out there. So when you look at clouds, it's actually applying something called attention restoration theory. And what that says, that wasn't about the, I think it was the Kaplan's that came up with this back in the eighties. Again, I could be misquoting that, but it is attention restoration theory. And basically what it's allowing you to do is your brain isn't zoomed in on any one thing it has a soft fascination so soft fascination with nature you know when you're looking out whether it's at clouds or you're walking on a trail or you're on a beach you're not you know, unless you're looking at that surfer that's out there you're you just have what's called a soft fascination and what that allows your brain to do is it lessens the cognitive load so when you do that it's starting to give your brain a, basically a moment to breathe. And that's when you can come back to tasks, you know, fresher. So that's just one example. Um, there's other examples of, I think one of my favorite ones is um, breaking water. So if you're somewhere where there is breaking water, whether it is like on a beach or on a waterfall or on a stream where there's um, a lot of rocks, and the water has to break over them. It's giving off, um, and I'm going to misquote this. It's giving off positive ions, I think, positive okay. or negative ions. Uh, I was just reading up on this. And that is actually really good for us. And you'll notice you probably feel a little bit calmer 
a little bit clearer when you're near the beach or a waterfall, you hear that, but it's also the ions that it's interacting with us. And it's one of those bio biochemical reactions that as humans, we don't know or understand, but well, not understand, but we don't see it. Mm -hmm. We just feel it. And that's one of the things that's happening. So there's a lot of examples of those. There's different biochemicals that trees give off. Um, especially if there's a lot of decaying wood underneath and moss. And, you know, when you go into a forest after a rain and you have, there's that smell that's mm -hmm. actually a biochemical reaction and it's lighting up different things in our brain and our body that help us lower our cortisol levels without having to do anything about it. So there's part of it, which is the movement. So you're moving, even though in forest bathing, you're not moving very quickly. It's very slow, mindful. There's also a piece about you're letting things go. So it's a little bit meditative and mindful, but there's also these chemical reactions and biochemical reactions that are happening when you're out in a forest or you're by a lake or wherever you may be. That's interesting. So I'm, I could be setting you up here. So if I am, I will apologize. <laughs> um, is that, does, attention uh restoration, restoration theory mm -hmm. yes thank you is that why we get that feeling of insignificance when we're looking off at like we will we will go to Vail to mm -hmm. visit my husband's brother and when i look out at those mountains i can't i can't breathe i just feel so insignificant or if i'm mm -hmm. on the beach and there's nobody around and there's nothing but ocean to see i feel so small and insignificant like a speck of sand is that are it's those... actually more related to um, awe. So that is, there's a new book out. I was just looking over to see if I had it sitting here and I don't, um, on the science of awe. And it's when we put ourselves in places like you just mentioned, or you're on a beach and you're watching a gorgeous sunset and all of a sudden you feel both hyper-connected to everything as well as i'm just this little bundle of atoms on this rock that's spinning through space hurtling through space so that's more related to um, awe and there's some new science and research on the science of awe that what having these awe experiences whether it is you going out and watching a sunset or a sunrise i mean sunrise in my neighborhood I'm like, or we're <laughs> going to a mountaintop or, you know, so that's more related to um, the, the science of awe. And I can't remember the name of the book is, has the word awe in it. I have to look it up, but um, that just came out recently. And there has been some other research related to awe and what it does. And to your point, that sense of both purpose and meaning and connection, as well as but yeah, there's an entire world happening around me and nobody even knows I'm here. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah. yeah. So that's it. more related to that than I would say attention restoration theory. Okay. Perfect. Well, I'm glad I didn't set you up. Um, <laughs> what, um, when, when you're thinking about like locations for forest mm -hmm. bathing and, you know, my mind goes to the center of the United States that is relatively, you know, flat and, mm -hmm. you know, probably not as rich in, um, with forests as we might be on the East Coast. Right. Um, 
I'm in Boston. I'm just curious, are there recommended um, like locations or what are the recommendations for pe people that maybe have um, physical limitations that, you know, they might hear forest bathing and immediately think, well, that's not for me because I'm wheelchair bound or need a walker or something. Right. So I usually call it nature connection walks. And for that very specific reason that you mentioned, forest bathing can sound limiting in some ways, especially mm -hmm. if you're one that, you know, I don't really see a forest around me. Um, or I cannot participate because forests generally tend to be, you know, very rocky and, and brambly. So I tend to look at it as, um, and you can apply the techniques of forest bathing anywhere you find nature. So whether it's an urban park, um, whether it is a beach, so a blue space, a green space, or a park, the techniques can be applied anywhere. You'll find much more um, benefits if you're actually in a forest so that way if you have somebody who maybe isn't as able and they need something that's more accessible a lot of parks nowadays do have some accessibility sections so you'll find a lot you know you only have this you know rolled paved path to get to the waterfall sites so you'll start seeing so those are one way to look at it but another way to look at it is nature's everywhere so how can we help people think about a forest bathing or a nature connection walk in a way that works for them so I have people that are like, I don't like the forest. I don't want to go to a forest. I'm like, okay, is there a piece of nature that really speaks to you? So I led one in an arboretum. That's just another way that you can make it a little bit more accessible. So that's why I tend to I apply the same principles and it's beneficial um, because again, what you're doing is helping them use nature as a way to connect to the present moment as a way to let all these other things go, as a way to lower their stress levels. And it doesn't have to be a forest. It could be a beach, could be a lake, urban park, could be your backyard. So that's why you'll see me, if, if you look on my website, I tend to, I reference forest bathing, but I talk a lot about nature connection because I don't want it, that to be a limiting factor for anybody. Yes, it's that much more rich of experience if you're actually in a forest and you do it for a longer period of time, but you can still get benefits connecting with nature regardless of where you are. I love it. Thank you for walking us through that. Now you have, you have, um, I guess, solutions or offerings for like a corporate environment. If maybe mm -hmm. corporate leadership wants to, you know, take some folks on uh, a retreat you also have like solutions and offerings for individuals. So maybe yep. you can walk us through a couple of couple of stories that you might like to share about, you know, maybe what drew people to you and, um, you know, the, the challenges that they wanted to overcome and where they are today. Yeah. So one that jumps to mind is, <clears throat> excuse me, is a virtual team that hasn't seen each other and in a long time. So working with them at an offsite, it's a great way for them to reconnect in a different way. So mm -hmm. I was chatting with somebody last week and we were um, having flashbacks to ropes courses. Um, yeah. I did those back in the 90s. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that was your team building experience. You did a ropes course. 
Um, so this is a different type of team building, but it's an opportunity in this time when so many people are overworked. And I think that's really the conversation I was having with the leader is the team is feeling a little bit burnt out. You know, we're doing more with less, but they're also feeling a little disconnected. So what can we do to bring those two together? And it's somebody I knew from before in my former life. So they knew me. And as we started talking and thinking about, okay, well, what would this walk look like? It really came down to let's give them opportunities to connect to nature, but also connect to each other um, in pair groups and then in larger groups, because that's also part of the forest bathing experience is if you're doing it with a group, give them an opportunity to share and find out different perspectives. Like what I find beautiful may be completely different than what you find beautiful. So giving them an opportunity to pair off and find a, one of the activities we did was find a piece of nature that really speaks to you. And, you know, it's on the forest floor, or if it's something that is uh, maybe a leaf that a tree dropped or a twig or a bush, and then pair off and talk about that for 10 minutes. Why that piece of nature? Maybe for some of them, it was a memory from childhood. For others, it was the texture. For others, it was the scent. So it just gives you an opportunity to connect with people in a completely different way. Plus, nobody was on their phone. They had two hours to completely disconnect from everything and just be as humans and have conversations that they would have never had before. And what I found out afterwards, you know, I only stayed for that particular portion was they felt more relaxed when they went into the rest of their retreat and their offsite. So that's just one example of working with a team who, you know, maybe they just want to try something different. I always say it's something that's off the beaten path. You know, if you, if you are tired of doing the things you've always done, or you want to explore something that allows the team to connect in a different way while also being beneficial for them, this is an opportunity to do that. So I've done that with groups. And then I apply the same kind of principles with individuals too. So I took a solopreneur out, um, she runs her own business. And we went for about an hour and a half walk and gave her the time. I asked her to send an intention before. And she's been looking to pivot her business. She wasn't quite sure what, she's like, you know, I'm, I don't know what that next big thing is. I think it's pivoting. Not sure. Don't really know. I said, great. I don't really want you to think about that. I just want you to, you know, that's just kind of rolling around in the back of your mind. And we went for probably maybe half mile to three quarters of a mile. Again, you don't go very far. We saw some lovely ducks, smelled some beautiful cedars, um, stood in a meadow and looked out on a lake. And throughout the whole thing, you know, I, the two of us would come together and, and have conversations. The kinds of things that she noticed was the play of sunlight through the trees, mm. how shadows and, and not shadows, you know, and then it would light and shadows, how they played together. The ducks playing together. And, you know, then we saw a whole bunch of little teeny, teeny, tiny frogs, um, completely unexpected. We saw the meadows and the, and the wind and the breeze and how soft and, and, there was a softness, but this movement there. So by the end of the walk, she realized that she has been trying to think her way through 
and sitting at her computer with these docs and what should I do and truly just trying to think her way through it instead of taking a step back goes back to that lessen the cognitive load don't really think about that she's like oh i need to do this more often there it is i'm trying to think my way through and she now actually just does things every day she between meetings goes out on her deck and just looks out at in her backyard doesn't really think about anything but those things unlocked her ability to realize I've been trying to force my way through this instead of giving myself some space to let those connections come to me. And she found it truly transformative. Um, and it was only an hour and a half. That's it. That's all I asked her for. So those are just a couple of examples. That's incredible. And I can completely relate. I'm sure most people can, right? I'm, I'm a high performer, high achiever. I, have always had a calendar of back to back to back to back to back meetings and multitasking to a level that I didn't think was possible. And I, I think it was before the pandemic is when we got our dog and I realized he, he was forest bathing me, right? <laughs> yeah. And you're lucky if we can walk in like a mile in about an hour because he's just, sniffing everything. And I started to notice the birds and how quiet it is in the winter time. Mm -hmm. Everything's so still. And I love it. Was it. My favorite time. So then I got the idea to have a second dog and he is an absolute maniac. So since, <laughs> since we've had the maniac, both have gone to daycare every single day. And I literally just said this to my husband the other day, we have to, or I have to, cause I'm the one that's here. I have to have them back home again, A, mm -hmm. for my own sanity, so I can continue to have that quiet and outdoor time. But I also mm -hmm. don't get to enjoy them very much. Right. That right. was really obvious to me that, yes, I needed that break while I transitioned from my 25-year left-hand turn <laughs> of my career. Um, now I get to set my time. And I get to have those breaks and, and really just, you know, connect with the outside mm -hmm. with them. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I love that you came to that um, conclusion and <clears throat> the fact that it can work for you. And that's the other thing is it's, you know, you try this one thing, but now that you're, you have the ability to flex your schedule and, and kind of create mm -hmm. your own schedule and find those times. I think it's, I think it's important that we figure out, the way that works for us. So for mm -hmm. you, it's through the dogs. Um, for me, it's, I will, you know, lace up my laces. And if it's just outside for maybe a five minute walk, that's all I have. That'll do. But it gets me away from that zoom from that, especially now we're, we're zoomed out. We're, you know, social media out. We're, you know, fill in the other technology here. Mm -hmm. It's just so easy to get zoomed in and just sucked into all of that, that yeah, it's letting it go, giving yourself, your brain and your body a chance to just, okay, I need a moment to breathe. Well, and the irony of it too, is that I've always been the type of leader where I would say, it is none of my business when you get your job done. 
If you want to do your job at three o'clock in the morning, that is your problem. I will not be responding at three o'clock in the morning, right? You have a job to do and I trust that you'll do it the way that you need to do it. But I wasn't, I wasn't leading by example. I was mm-hmm. 24 seven and yep. um, my team loved me because I was so supportive, but nobody was looking out for me. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. And to the ground and it was, that was the greatest gift that, that ever came. Yeah. And that's the thing is, is who's looking out for you. You're looking out for the team, but who's looking out for you. And then you always have that person who, yes, you've told them all of this, but then they see you and it's like, Ooh, is that what I need to do in order to get ahead? Mm -hmm. So there's both of those things at play there. And now the secret is this is what we need to do to get ahead. Yes. 100%. Leave it. Um, I'm curious how how um, I, I, I like organically want to call it forest bathing, but now I want to call it nature connections. Whatever um, works for you. Yes, I call okay. it nature connection. Nature nature connections. How that gets integrated into a regular wellness r- routine? Do you think it's mm-hmm. more impactful that you know people try? a couple of times a week for 30 minutes or that it's a daily morning practice along with their meditation and their journaling and what have you. What, what have you seen? Yeah, it really depends on the person. Um, There are some people who embrace the morning like myself and find that if I don't get outside and connect with nature in the morning, it really just doesn't set me up for a really great day. Mm-hmm. However, there's others who maybe that's just because of their responsibilities. They don't have that time in the morning, but they can escape at lunch or they can make time for it. You know, maybe they do a workout and then they connect with nature. So I think it really depends on what are they trying to do. And, you know, if they are somebody who is in, let's just say, back to back to back to back meetings all day long, my recommendation would be find five minutes in between a couple of those meetings, surely you can end your meetings five to 10 minutes early and just get away from everything and go outside. Whereas for somebody else who is really looking to de-stress overall, maybe they're looking to um, do some strategic thinking, but yet not like the one uh, entrepreneur I was talking about, then I would say, okay, that requires something where you're spending a little bit more time. So maybe at the end of the day, you go out and do a 30 minute walk or maybe twice a week you spend, or at least once a week, you spend an hour to an hour and a half on a trail and not to hike, but just to walk slowly, look at the world around you and then just let everything fall away. And you'd be surprised at what bubbles up. It's like when you're in the shower. In a shower, you get the best ideas. And I keep <laughs> going, I need to buy one of those things you can put in the shower and write those ideas on, yet I keep forgetting. Like a waterproof um, dry erase board or Yes, something. they have them. <laughs> those things exist. But yet I keep saying, oh, I need to get them. I just forget. Um, so yeah, it's the same type of thing. You just let everything else fall away. Your subconscious is still working behind the scenes. So it really does depend on the person. What I do recommend, though, is it's a regular practice. So it's, you know, the one and done just doesn't work. The mm-hmm. one workout, you don't lose five pounds. 
the one opportunity that you have to connect with nature, whether it's a true force bathing experience, that is really great, but you need, it's a practice you just need to keep doing. So if all you have is five minutes, start with five minutes. If you wanna do something a little bit longer term, then maybe you find an hour on Sundays to do that. So it really just depends on the person, depends on what they're looking to do, and depends on what their schedule allows for as well. So they can really find, I keep going fine, no, not fine, so they can make the time for it. Make. <laughs> make. I was just like, fine, Ooh, right. not fine. Well, I mean, it's law of attraction too. So things that feel mm -hmm. good, we'll make time for it, you know, we'll, we'll start yeah. to say, well, I don't really want to do that right now because I want to do more of this. So you're yeah. absolutely right. You start with five. And then, you know, you'll notice over time that you're feeling more calm or for, or more, mm -hmm. um, you know, connected to your friends and your family. And so you'll make more time for that because mm -hmm. you like how it feels. Mm -hmm. And it's also about an experiment. So mm -hmm. you may get people who are like, well, you know, I, I don't have the time to go out. You know, the park is 15 minutes away. Okay. Maybe that's a weekend activity for you. What can you do in the morning or in the evening? You can gaze at the clouds. I, I am a huge cloud gazing fan, so you'll hear me talk about it a lot. I just love to just, oh, what shape is that? What does that look like? And I've said this to others, and it's true. Every time I do this with a concerted effort, I always see Falcor from Never Falcor. <laughs> Same. Ever. Just single. You know, because he was like a big fluffy thing anyway, so... Yeah, yeah I always so see him. But you can also look at it, the trees. And if you don't have trees, you can go outside. What does the sun or the rain feel like? You know, mm -hmm. what, what smells? So there's always something that you can do. And then if you're like, well, I don't like to go outside. Well, then you can look at nature from inside. You can even stream um, birdsong, you know, YouTubes. There's some really great videos on YouTube that they have set up these cameras and these really cool locations. And it's just like 10 hours of watching a babbling brook. I'm like, who wouldn't want that? Yes, please. <laughs> yes, please. More of that, please. So, you know, experiment and find what works for you. It's mm -hmm. different for everybody. And that's just the other reason. Just yeah. You try just, just try it, try something. And if you're like, eh, I don't like that, that doesn't mean you just let it, you just try something else. Mm -hmm. so there's always something else that you can play with and do. And, you know, maybe clouds aren't your thing, but you know, it's, they're really cool to look at. Just saying. All the more for you then, right? That's right. <laughs> <laughs> all the more well, for me. <laughs> before I get to my, my favorite question of all, um, oh. I do want to make sure that people know that you have um, been so gracious as to put together a unique offer for um, the listeners and viewers of this show. It's called Five Simple Ways to Connect with Nature. Yep. Um, you want to share a little bit about that or just leave it as you have to read it. It's a must read and we'll put the link in the show notes. Yes, please. Um, no, it's it, 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 it will walk you through um, one of them. I'll, I'll give away, you know, secret, not secret, cloud gazing. I think it was my my number one. But I tried to find some things that were had a low barrier of entry. So it was easy to do. And what I also do is I talk about why it works. So it's not just about, hey, go look at the clouds, but there's 
actually some really cool reasons that cloud gazing, and it's not just about attention restoration theory. There's something else that's happening, but you'll have to download it to find out. <laughs> I love it. The cliffhanger. <laughs> um, so I want to make sure we cover where people can find you. And again, I'll have that in the mm -hmm. show notes. Um, but your Instagram, for example. Yeah, is so you, my Instagram and YouTube is The Connection Catalysts. And I'll share a little bit about that. It's really, I'm just the co-facilitator with nature. So I consider us co-facilitators. So that's why I say it's the connection catalysts. It's not just connection catalysts. So that's where you can find me on Instagram and YouTube, the connection catalysts. And then my website is just connectioncatalyst.com. So I'm the queen of ADD and you just made me think of another question. So essentially, or maybe it's more of a statement, essentially you can, you can teach people how to find beauty in living in Boston in the middle of winter. Yes. Yes, yeah. please. Oh, oh can we just talk about that. the signs of snowflakes? I just <laughs> There's a whole thing about fractals that I'm just starting to explore of which snowflakes are one of those examples. But that's for another podcast at another yeah. time. Here's going to learn to love the rain too. One <laughs> one guy told me once. I I said something like have a have a great day, stay dry and he said but the rain makes the ducks happy. Oh. And I was like, you're my people. I love you. Love but that. Dry. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. <laughs> so as you know, the show is called Joy Unleashed. And yeah. um, I have a journal coming out called The Daily Do Doses of Joy. I can spit that out. Um, maybe you can leave us with some daily practices that you implement. Um, that may help people kind of connect to what they consider joy in their everyday. So two things that I do regularly that help me connect with myself, which helps me connect with the things that bring me joy, um, other than connecting with nature and going for a walk, is getting silent. Whether you actually meditate on a regular basis or you just spend a couple minutes getting silent it just helps to it's not about completely you know getting rid of all the thoughts in your head because they're just gonna keep on going but it's just yeah there's some thoughts happening mm -hmm. but by being quiet letting the phones down everything it allows you to start tapping into yourself and listening to yourself and you'll find some things might bubble up that oh you know what i, I really want to go outside today or i want to look at some flowers today or maybe i just want to take a nap who knows what it is so i i find that getting silent allows us to start to tap into our intuition and, and what we really want um mm -hmm. and sometimes what i really want is a bag of chips but that's another <laughs> podcast for another time. It's getting close to lunchtime here. And, and uh, all of a sudden that thought just popped into my head. So yes, I would like a bag of chips. Um, so that's one thing, one thing I do. And then the other thing is um, I actually put my devices away probably about an hour and a half before bedtime. Mm -hmm. And what that allows me to do is, although I will admit I'm not always a paper book reader, so I will bring out my Kindle 
white for bedtime. Um, however, by putting them away, again, that's finding time for me, my family, and not the rest of the world and the things that are happening. And again, that allows you to, one, have a better quality of sleep um, so that you can wake up more refreshed and recharged and ready to embrace the next day. But two, again, it's that silence. So I'm not listening to what everybody else is saying. And, you know, you get to spend some time with your family or spend some time with yourself doing the things that you love. So one of the things that I love to do during that time is paint by numbers, of which that little uh, painting behind me, that's a paint by numbers kit. Oh, yeah. And that's, that's what I do. I color. That's the other thing I do. I color for fun. In color. Okay. Color. Those are great. Paint by numbers or colors. Those are great suggestions. Chris, this has been such a great session um what a what a great way to kick off the show <laughs> um selfishly like i want to hang up here and just head right outside and i will because i can and that's amazing <laughs> um i really want to encourage um folks to download five simple ways to connect with nature mm -hmm. by chris cola donato um, you can find her on all the socials. We will have yep. everything in the show notes. Um, she's already shared where they are, of course, on this broadcast as well. Chris, thank you. This has been a real honor. Oh, thank you for having me, especially as your first guest. I had an absolute blast. <laughs> You're number one. Woo! <laughs> As always, it's my honor to be your host and joyologist, Colleen Greco. Follow me at the Colleen Greco on Instagram for daily motivation and inspiration. And don't forget to leave my show a review on Apple Podcasts. Until next time, sisters. Money stresses me out. So I got this Experian app and now I'm checking my FICO score. I got a new credit card and I'm even finding ways to save. Finally, getting smart about money feels really good. See all you can do with the free Experian app. Download it now. Welcome to the Huberman Lab podcast, where we discuss science and science-based tools for everyday life. I'm Andrew Huberman and I'm a professor of neurobiology and ophthalmology at Stanford School of Medicine. Today, my guest is Dr. Noam Sobel. Dr. Noam Sobel is a professor of neurobiology in the Department of Brain Sciences at the Weizmann Institute of Science. His laboratory studies olfaction and chemosensation. Olfaction is, of course, our sense of smell. Chemosensation is our ability to respond to chemicals in our environment. Today, you are going to learn some absolutely incredible facts about how you interact with the world and other people around you. For instance, you will learn that humans can smell things around them as well as dogs can. In fact, humans are incredibly good at sensing the chemical world around them. You also learn, for instance, that every time you meet somebody, you are taking chemicals from that person, either from the chemical cloud that surrounds them or directly from the surface of their body, and you are actually applying it to your own body and you are processing information about that person's chemicals to determine many things about them, including how stressed they are, their hormone levels, things that operate at a subconscious level on your brain and nervous system and that impact your emotions, your decision-making and who you choose to relate to or not to relate to. You will also learn that tears, yes, 
the tears of others are impacting your hormone levels in powerful ways. You will also learn that every so often, actually on a regular schedule, there is an alternation of ease through which you can breathe through one nostril or the other. And that alternation reflects an underlying dynamic of your nervous system and has a lot to do with how alert or sleepy you happen to be. The list of things that Dr. Noam Sobel's laboratory has discovered that relate to everyday life and that are going to make you say, wow, I can't believe that happens, but then go out into the real world and actually observe that that happens in ways that are incredibly interesting, just goes on and on. In fact, his laboratory discovered that we are always sensing our own odors. That's right, even though you might not notice your own smell, you are always sensing your own odor cloud. And throughout the day, you periodically smell yourself deliberately even though you might not realize it, in order to change your cognition and behavior. I first learned of Dr. Sobel's laboratory through a rather odd observance. That observance took place when I was a graduate student many years ago at UC Berkeley. At the time, Noam Sobel was a professor at UC Berkeley. As I mentioned before, he has since moved to the Weissman. Well, I was walking through the Berkeley campus and I saw people on their hands and knees, but with their head very close to the ground and their eyes were covered, their hands were covered, their mouths were covered, and only their nose was exposed. And what I was observing was an experiment being conducted by the Sobel Laboratory in which humans were following a scent trail. That scent trail was actually buried some depth underneath the earth, and yet they could follow that scent trail with a high degree of fidelity. It was from that experiment and other experiments done in Dr. Sobel's laboratory at Berkeley and at the Wiseman, involving neuroimaging and a number of other tools and techniques that revealed the incredible power of human olfaction and humans' ability to follow scent trails if they need to. And that, of course, led to many other important discoveries, some of which I alluded to a few moments ago, but you are going to learn about many, many other important discoveries in the realm of olfaction and chemosensation that have been carried out by Dr. Sobel's laboratory through the course of today's episode. And by the end of today's episode, I assure you that you will never look at or smell the world around you the same way again. Before we begin, I'd like to emphasize that this podcast is separate from my teaching and research roles at Stanford. It is, however, part of my desire and effort to bring zero cost to consumer information about science and science-related tools to the general public. In keeping with that theme, I'd like to thank the sponsors of today's podcast. Our first sponsor is Roka. Roka makes eyeglasses and sunglasses that are of the absolute highest quality. I've spent a lifetime working on the biology of the visual system, and I can tell you that your visual system has to contend with an enormous number of challenges in order for you to be able to see clearly. Roka eyeglasses and sunglasses were designed with the biology of the visual system in mind. So no matter whether or not you're wearing them for sport, whether or not you're wearing them for work or for socializing, you can always see with crystal clarity. Their glasses are extremely lightweight, so most of the time you don't even realize that you're wearing them. I wear Roka readers at night and sometimes when I drive at night, and I wear Roka sunglasses throughout the day, except of course, I do not wear them for my morning sunlight viewing. If you'd like to try Roka eyeglasses or sunglasses, go to Roka, that's R-O-K-A dot com and enter the code Huberman to save 20% off your first order. Again, that's R-O-K-A dot com and enter the code Huberman at checkout. Today's episode is also brought to us by Thesis. Thesis makes custom nootropics and nootropics is a word that I do not like because it means smart drugs. As a neurobiologist, I can tell you that there is no neural circuit in your brain for being smart. There are neural circuits for focus, there are neural circuits for memory, there are neural circuits for creativity, and there are neural circuits for task switching. Thesis understands that there's a diversity of neural circuits that support different brain body states and therefore have designed nootropics that are customized to achieve specific brain body states. 
If you go to the thesis website and take a brief quiz, they will design a nootropic starter kit. Some of those nootropics that they'll send you are designed to enhance your focus, others for clarity, others for creativity, and so on. To get your own personalized nootropic starter kit, you can go to takethesis.com slash Huberman and take a three-minute quiz, and Thesis will send you four different formulas to try in your first month. That's takethesis.com slash Huberman and use the code Huberman at checkout to get 10% off your first order. Today's episode is also brought to us by Helix Sleep. Helix Sleep makes customized mattresses and pillows that allow you to get the best possible night's sleep. So if you go to the Helix website, you can take a very brief quiz. It only takes about two minutes and answer questions such as, do you tend to sleep on your back or your side or your stomach? Do you tend to run hot or cold throughout the night? Maybe you don't know the answers to those questions, but they'll match you to a mattress that's ideal for your sleep needs. For me, that was the Dusk D-U-S-K mattress, which is not too firm and not too soft. And I've been sleeping on it for more than two years and it's the best sleep that I've ever had. If you'd like to try a Helix mattress, go to helixsleep.com slash Huberman. Take that two-minute quiz, and they'll match you to a customized mattress, and you'll get up to $350 off any mattress order and two free pillows. Again, if you're interested, you can go to helixsleep.com slash Huberman for up to $350 off and two free pillows. And now for my discussion with Dr. Noam Sobel. Dr. Sobel, Noam, oh, welcome. Thank you. I must say, I am extremely excited for this conversation. I've been a huge fan of your work for more than a decade or two. Uh, yes. Kind of frightening. Yeah. But yeah. We overlapped at UC Berkeley some time ago, although we did not meet. And although we, we lived in the same apartment. And we just learned that <laughs> the amazing apartment that you moved out of was the apartment that my girlfriend and I at the time moved into in 2006, yeah. I believe. So uh, we've shared quite a few things. Um, and today I'd Love for you to share with us um, all about the amazing landscape of chemosensation, in particular olfaction, our sense of smell, and some related perceptual abilities or subconscious abilities, including pheromones, et cetera. To get everybody on the same page, I'd like to just start off by asking, what are the major components of our ability to smell? Obviously, or I like to think it involves the nose at some level. It does. To what extent is that mixed in with other senses like taste? And perhaps more importantly, what about the chemicals that we are sensing through this thing? And for those of you listening I'm, and not watching, I'm tapping my nose that we are not aware of, you know, that the chemicals that are, that we're inhaling and um, making sense of without our awareness. Now, if you could just um, give us the top contour or even deep contour, if you like, of the, uh, the parts list and the, uh, the various roles they play. So you, you've asked a lot of questions at once. Um, you know, I'll start with a little comment on the way you, you said smelling through our nose, which we indeed do, but we also smell through our mouth, actually. There's a process referred to as retronasal olfaction, where um, odorants come up through our, the back of our throat and out of our nose the reverse way. And we smell things that way as well. And in fact, a big part of the contribution of olfaction to food and taste comes from that, from retronasal olfaction. But uh, uh, primary olfaction is referred to as orthonasal olfaction, that is through our nose, we sniff, and sniffing is a big thing. Well, I have a sense we might talk about that a lot today in all sorts of contexts. So we sniff in through our nose, and to answer your general question of the organization of the system, um, so molecules, airborne molecules travel up our nose, a distance in the human of about six or seven centimeters to about here, 
where they interact with, I will use the word sheet of receptors, but sheet is a bit misleading here. It's not a sheet, it's very convoluted. We have about 7 million such receptors uh, lining a structure known as the olfactory epithelium. This is the sensory surface of the olfactory system, the olfactory epithelium. Again, about probably about six or seven million receptors in the human. In the human, probably of about 350 different kinds. So that's amazing. That means a, a meaningful percentage of your genome is devoted just to this, just to the kinds of olfactory receptor subtypes you have in your nose. By the way, I can share an amusing story. I would imagine amusing stories are good for podcasts. So that number of six or seven million receptors is probably not very well grounded. Uh, it's hard to count, uh, but it's reasonably grounded. And there was this thing roaming around in the literature about bloodhounds having a billion receptors in their nose, which is why they're so amazing. And this number was, you know, it sort of propagated through the literature. And, and our lab um, has written over the years a few review chapters, and, and we were repeatedly writing the olfaction chapter for a very large, one of these large textbooks, the Gazaniga Handbook of uh, Cognitive Neuroscience, I think it's called. Um, and, and we had that in there as well somewhere. And, and one time when we were renewing the chapter for a new version of the book, I told the graduate student who was leading that at the time, Araya Sharoon, she's now a, a professor at Tel Aviv University, I told her, check that, check that reference out. Where in the world did that come from? And we started going back and back and back. And it turns out it comes from a textbook, an Australian textbook. And we found the author of the textbook and, and we wrote her and I said, look, there's this thing in, in the literature of a billion receptors in, in the bloodhound. Where did that come from? And, and surprisingly, she answered me. And, you know, I was hoping to get a reference, right? But it wasn't a reference. And, and this is where it really becomes funny for us because she said, I, I, I was once um, at a lecture of uh, an olfaction geneticists, geneticist by the name of Daron Lancet. Uh, and he said that in the lecture. Now, this is really funny because she's in Australia. This is all over the world, this number. And I'm writing her from Israel and Daron Lancet is in the building next to me. Okay. He's in, in Weizmann Institute Genetics. I mean, he used to be, he's, he's retired now. Uh, and and he, he had meaningful contributions in the history of olfaction. Um, so I picked up the internal phone and, and I said, hey, Duran, you know, did you say that there's a billion receptors in the bloodhound nose? And he said, what's a bloodhound? <laughs> so this was totally made up, right? It totally made up and it propagated. I mean, you can, you can probably go into Google and type like a billion receptors in the bloodhound and, and you'll get a lot of hits but there was absolutely no evidence for that. Amazing, and not just amazing in light of what it, it tells us about olfaction in bloodhounds or otherwise, but amazing because it sheds light on just how much of what is in textbooks, scientific and medical is absolutely wrong. Things, things propagate and, and you know, you cite yourself and right. So we fixed that in, the, in that version of the, right. of the and, and so to finish the line, so, that, so, so odorants interact with these receptors um, here in our epithelium. Uh, where they undergo what is referred to as transduction. That is the odorants are dock at a receptor and turn into a neural signal or, or in force the receptor to respond in a neural signal. And uh, this neural signal, in fact, action potentials, not gradient potentials of any kind, uh, propagates uh, via the olfactory nerve. Now, this is a nerve that goes from our epithelium uh, right here. Behind the forehead. 
No, it's well, yeah, yeah, here, uh, through uh, the thinnest part of our skull, uh, an area referred to as the cribriform plate, which is perforated, it has a lot of holes. The nerve goes through those holes and synapses at the first target in the brain, uh, which is the olfactory bulb. In humans, uh, that forms an interesting uh, uh, point of sensitivity um, because a lot of people lose their sense of smell due to trauma uh, because of that structure. They a head hit type trauma. Well, yes, although uh, you denoted hitting on the front of the head, which is where all this real estate is, but actually uh, the more common cause for losing your sense of smell for trauma is the back of the head mm -hmm. because of what's referred to as a contraco injury. So as your listeners probably know, our brain is floating in liquid in CSF, in cerebrospinal fluid inside our skull. And when we get hit in the back of the head, the brain has this forward and backward movement in the liquid in, in the skull. It sort of crashes, it can crash against the front of the skull, which is why you also have in a contrico injury, you also often have frontal damage. But what happens is that this generates a shearing motion on the cribriform plate and the olfactory nerve is severed. And if it's completely severed, it's, it's lost. Uh, for, um, forever, because my, my understanding is that the olfactory sensory neurons can, are among the few central nervous system neurons in adult humans that can regenerate so, or replenish themselves. Right. Yeah. So, so I'll, I'll, again, there are a few questions. In yeah, one. that's okay. We so will, first of all, we if, will spin if, many plates simultaneously. If it's completely severed, completely, then yes, you're lost. Forever. Yeah. If it's completely severed, because even if you'll have regeneration at the basal cell level at the epithelium, they won't manage to find their way back uh, to the bulb. If, if you have partial or something left or something shows up in a short while after the injury, then you have a good chance of recovery. Uh, because they um, grow along the trajectory of the yeah, other axons yeah. or pioneering the way for them. Assumingly, yeah. Interesting. And, and so, so basically, and, and basically the time frame, and you know, it's funny, I get a lot of emails on this, although I'm not a medical doctor, but, but I get a lot of emails from people who have lost their sense of smell because it's very distressing. And now more people know this because of COVID that it's very distressing. And, and basically the rule of thumb is that if you don't get it back within a year to a year and a half, you'll never uh, get it back. My, my understanding of the statistics on olfactory loss in COVID and, and, and other viral type infections is that, um, first of all, I had, I experienced that when I got COVID. Including um, total anosmia? For one day. 